We're opening up this episode of Monster Kid Radio with the song Phantom Hitchhiker. It's from the band Boss Fink from their album that was just released, RPM. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. You can find out about Boss Fink over on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash boss think or go over to doublecrownrecords.com and look them up. That's where I bought the CD. I think you're going to enjoy the entire album and I hope you're going to enjoy this episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. I'm excited because we finally have Casey Criswell on the show. We've been joking with Casey for years on 1951 Down Place and on Facebook and on Twitter, well, pretty much everywhere, about how we haven't had him on the show yet. We've had Scott on the show repeatedly, but Casey's been my other co-host from 1951 Down Place. He's never been on the show proper. This time around, we're going to talk with Casey. We're going to talk about Doctor Who. Sort of. Okay, actually, I consider it Doctor Who. We're going to find out if Casey considers Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD from 1966 a proper Doctor Who. This is going to be a lot of fun because it's Peter Cushing. You can never get enough Peter Cushing. Well, period. So I hope you enjoy the conversation that I have with Casey. Now, I went into this having seen the movie before, but Casey had not. Casey's going to bring his modern Whovian fandom to the table. I'm going to bring my fandom of classic monster movies and Peter Cushing to the table. It's going to be a good time. After that, we're going to go over an email that we got from a listener. So stay tuned for that. Let's dive into Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD right after this. The strangest science fiction story ever told about man's deadliest enemy, the human vapor. Never before a power so dangerous. Never before an enemy so indestructible. Nothing on earth could stop him. The human vapor. Half beast, half man. Dr. Sano had said I'd be a superman. Instead, he had created the human vapor. Now I should be grateful to our doctor, shouldn't I? He did not do as he intended. Yet he did give me supreme power now. I can have anything I choose. Destroy anyone I care to. No prison bars could keep him in. No door could keep him out. The human vapor slips through every crack, through every opening, to terrify, to destroy, to kill. See the human vapor transform before your eyes from human form to vapor nightmare. The human vapor brings you a haunting legacy of fear, causing panic and riot and devastation. See this weird story of a superhuman power that menaces the world. Who can kill like an inhuman monster? but who loves like a man. Here for the first time, the most dangerous experiment in terror. See the disintegration of a human being into the deadliest vapor killer. Born of woman, but recreated by an evil science into an ectoplasmic horror to stagger your imagination. The human vapor will come to life and bring you the most terrifying experience in scientific history. The human vapor. Is he man or astro-man? The Human Vapor, in living color on the giant screen. The Human Vapor. The Human Vapor. 
the strangest science fiction story ever told about man's deadliest enemy, the human vapor. Never before a power so dangerous, never before an enemy so indestructible. Nothing on earth could stop him, the human vapor, half beast, half man. Dr. Sano had said I'd be a superman. Instead, he had created the human vapor. No prison bars could keep him in. No door could keep him out. The human vapor slips through every crack, through every opening, to terrify, to destroy, to kill. See the human vapor transform before your eyes from human form to vapor nightmare. The human vapor brings you a haunting legacy of fear, causing panic and riot and devastation. See this weird story of a superhuman power that menaces the world. Who can kill like an inhuman monster? but who loves like a man. The human vapor will come to life and bring you the most terrifying experience in scientific history. The human vapor. Is he man or astro-man? The human vapor in living color on the giant screen. The human vapor. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Down Place is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Hammer? Wasn't that an 80s cop show on ABC with David Raish? This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Down Place can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Wait, that was Sledgehammer. 1951 Down Place, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Hello? began just as you see here. Do you know what you have just done? You have transferred us in time and space and I hadn't even set the controls. Now I don't know where we are. We could be anywhere in the universe and at any time. Yes, this is how it began. The adventure that started by accident, taking us out of this time and place to a lost planet. Who's there? Who's there? Come with us into that strange new world. I cannot guarantee your safety, but I can promise you unimagined things. You have invaded the world of the Daleks. Every move you make, we can see. An alarm bell. They know we've escaped. They're cutting through the door. 
come with us to the petrified forest. Meet the Thals, the blonde giants who have survived the monstrous rule of the Daleks. We must get to the city. They could have scanners here, anything. I'm going back. No, you're not. We'll be killed. We'll never defeat the Daleks. Remember, we are watching you. We can destroy you. It's a trap! Go back! Run! These are the people trapped by the Daleks. Doctor Who, the brilliant science professor. The young man who triggered off this strange journey. The professor's frightened granddaughter. And the youngster who inherited her grandfather's adventurous spirit. Doctor Who and the Daleks. Now you can see them in color on the big screen, closer than ever before. So close, you can feel their fire. So thrilling, you must be there. Barbara, look behind you! Stop the countdown! The bomb will destroy the planet! Listeners, I can't get enough of this next guest here on Monster Kid Radio. So much so, I do a monthly podcast with him. He's one of my co-hosts over at 1951 Down Place. And if you listen to any kind of horror podcast at all, well, you've heard the name Casey Criswell thrown about because he's on Bloody Good Horror and, well, a thousand other podcasts, it seems like. Casey, thank you for taking the time to appear on Monster Kid Radio. Well, Derek, thanks for having me. Although, I got to say, when you say... You can't get enough of me. <laughs> Yet I've never been on Monster Kid Radio before. Yeah, this is your first real guest stint. We did like a a classic five thing for like three minutes, yeah, years ago. But this is the first real guest <laughs> shot. Yes, I'm excited to be here. So thanks for having me. I wanted to have you on a long time ago. Part of the issue is just trying to find a movie that we can talk about or a topic that we can talk about because you and I kind of have slightly different uh, approaches. To monster movies? Yeah. I like more of the modern B-movies and a lot of cheese and stuff, hence the name of my other podcast, Cinema Fromage, because I do love my cheesy movies where I know you're more into the classical stuff and whatnot, and I cover a lot more of the more modern and, you know, like up to the new stuff coming out in theaters, things like that. So there is a big difference. There is. There are some areas that we can try to cross over though the venn diagram that is casey and derek there's a few spots that kind of wibbly wobbly kind a little of bit connect Tiny, wimey. <laughs> I, I was trying to go for a doctor who thing i i gotta say and i'm gonna admit this and i i hope i don't lose any geek cred here i don't really watch doctor who uh-oh now i know enough about doctor who to kind of shake my head and not look stupid in a Dr. Hugh conversation. <laughs> I know the reincarnation thing, and I know what a sonic screwdriver is. I know a TARDIS is bigger on the inside. I know about the time traveling thing, and I know, well, the regeneration. I think, did I mention the regeneration thing already? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I know that. I have watched the one TV movie that Fox did, like, back in the 90s. 
That's not a good place to start. With Eric Roberts <laughs> as the master, and then yes. oh, what was the guy's name? Here, I, listeners are like, Derek, you got it. It's like I can't remember the, the doctor's <laughs> name, but he turned up in that War Doctor short, right? Right. Which I did see as well. So I know John Hurt was. Is it John the Hurt? War Doctor. Yeah, he was there for like a second. Yeah, not this last season in the into the. Matt Smith seasons, I think. Right, and I was going to say, I know Matt Smith is one of them. I know um, (laughs) (laughs) the one that turned up in the Fright Night remake. Uh, (laughs) Yes, David Tennant. That's the guy's name. Uh, There was a Christopher guy, right? Before David Tennant? Yep, Uh, he was Destro in the G.I. Joe movie. Okay, okay. I know the Matt Smith one likes to wear fedoras. He thinks fedoras are cool. Nope, fezes. Fezes, Fezes. Why did I say Fedora? I don't know. I don't know. Give me your card. Oh, damn it. I was doing so good. <laughs> I was doing so good. And I know the guy who's playing the Doctor now is a longtime Doctor Who fan from when he was a kid and is yeah. related by marriage to one of the other previous Doctors. Is that right? No. Uh, Peter Capaldi, I don't think, is related to any of the Doctors. David Tennant is That's married one. to one of the previous Doctors' uh, daughters. Gotcha. <laughs> so I'm going to throw out there, since we are talking about Doctor Who today, I am a big Doctor Who fan. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it a lot. I got into Doctor Who's, for your listeners' sake, I got into the Doctor Who's with the modern reincarnation or regeneration, you might say, uh, when they started ah. up, uh, over new. I've seen some of the old ones. I enjoyed some of the old ones. But I need to make it clear before we get dive in deep into this, I'm a Doctor Who fan, but I'm not a Doctor Who historian. So my facts may get a little jumbled here and there. But that happens. It's still something I enjoy to talk about. So, Well, with so much Doctor Who out there, I mean, it's a long-running franchise. It's been going since, what, the 60s? Yeah, it's it's crazy. And we've got a lot of Hammer stuff we got to watch, so it's hard to fit it all in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yeah. So, I mean, we, we know it, it's got this legacy over in the U.K. It's been brought over here a couple of different times. Currently, BBC America's running it here in the States for us. Mm-hmm. And it's been a big hit over here, too. So now, like with the one that you talked about um, with Eric Roberts as the master, the TV movie they brought over, that didn't go over very well. No, it didn't. And that was long before they started the reboot on BBC America and everything. That one did not go over well for good reason. But luckily, they were able to overcome that and come back with the regular series. That's still part of the continuity, though, that they yes they, they use. Now, the continuity, are they still trying to keep the old Who and the current Who separate, or have they kind of merged them now? Uh, no, they've kind of merged them a bit, especially when in the moments you were talking about with, with the War Doctor, with John Hurt, and things like that. They brought in, there was a couple moments in there, because that was getting around the anniversary time of, like, the 50th anniversary, I think, of Doctor Who. So they had some moments where they brought in visualizations of all the doctors okay so it's kind of cool there it's actually a continuation of the older series so it is all connected except for the films and these peter cushing doctor who's are a weird beast yeah peter cushing's doctor who is not considered canon i know which is another word us uh, geeks like to throw around <laughs> <laughs> they're not one of the long list of fable lists of uh, doctors out there but there's a specific reason for it Oh, yeah? What's that specific reason? (laughs) It's just that when these movies came out, it was a time when Doctor Who was strictly a UK thing. It wasn't international. They were trying to make it international. Mm -hmm. So they decided to make these movies, but they decided to kind of dumb it down a little bit to make it more accessible. So they are a little bit separated. And they are a little bit different because they were trying to make a different product to get the rest of the world in on it. 
So the movies we're talking about are the films from 1965 and 1966. Doctor Who and the Daleks was the first one, and then Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD. We're going to focus mostly on the 2150 AD film. Well, that's the one you watched, right? I want to make yes. sure we're on the same page. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need any other excuses to, let, to delay having you on Monster Kid Radio. Yeah, no, I start to panic a little bit. It's like, oh, no, was I supposed to watch that other one, too? <laughs> <laughs> well, in my, I've seen them both, and in my opinion, the one that we're talking about today is the better of the two. Yes. I've seen them both, too, but it's been a long time since I've seen the first mm-hmm. one. So, mm-hmm. Oh, Peter Cushing. Uh, you know, we talk about Peter Cushing all the time over at 1951 Down Place, or even when we're talking about movies in which he doesn't appear. Yes. He's the man. He is. He, yeah, he's <laughs> the man. Now, and I think that's fair to say. We've always enjoyed Peter Cushing. You put Peter Cushing in a film, even in something like She, which has a connection to the film we're talking about today. Yeah. Which was not planned. <laughs> <laughs> We we love him, and with good reason. I mean, the man throws his all into everything that he does. Now, I've heard and I've read some places that he wasn't a big fan of the Doctor Who films. Yeah, I've seen that as well. Which, I, I don't know, you can't really tell by watching the movies. He seems to be having a good time. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, like you just said, when do we watch Peter Cushing in a movie that he's not giving it at his all? That's true. That's so true. The man was a professional, and his portrayal of the doctor where does he rank for you with what you've seen so <laughs> i was up to what up until i started watching these peter cushing uh, doctor who movies i was always confused on why he wasn't considered one of the doctors i hadn't seen it i wasn't informed because but you know whenever you see somebody list out all the doctors and you see everything they put out all these doctors together i always wonder why they didn't include peter cushing and it always kind of bothered me because i love peter cushing but i didn't have the knowledge as to why he wasn't in there mm-hmm. watching these i now know why and that's not to say i didn't like his portrayal of the doctor but his doctor is not the same doctor that's in the series in the tv series for a couple different reasons mm-hmm. the biggest standout is peter cushing's doctor is a human. He's not an alien. So okay. that's a yeah. big differentiate there. Now, if you look at him personality-wise and stuff like that, he's – because of the way they were making these movies and trying to draw in a lot of uh, different audiences and stuff like that, he's he's a doctor. He's a human doctor who is – surname is actually who, so he is actually Doctor Who. Uh, he's more of a – kind of like a genius type guy. So he you get a lot of those elements that makes the TV Doctor Who – Something special was or not there. Peter Cushing's portrayal is good. He's also very dry, though, compared to some of them. Because with the TV series doctors, they are uh, very quirky. They all have their different quirks and different things that make them stand out. And mm-hmm. he his is more along the lines with the original Doctor Who's, where it's a little more straight faced and a little more. I want to say dry, but I don't mean that in a bad way. He's very uh, proper. Is probably a better way to say it. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, with my limited exposure to at least modern Doctor Who, well, and classic Who as well, there is kind of a God. I don't want to say flippancy because that's not quite the right word either. But there is there's a quirk. Yeah, and and this Doctor Who, he seems to be kind of a the good version of a mad scientist. Yeah, and I, I don't know what that is, but he he's a human whose last name just happens to be Who, like you said. He seems to care about his granddaughter and, and his relatives and all that, but he also <laughs> seems to be very science-focused. He's a scientific adventurer who succeeds despite himself. Yeah, and it's kind of cool, too, because you do see some parallels between 
Peter Cushing's doctor and Peter Capaldi's doctor that's the current doctor. Oh, really? Just a little bit. And the way that they approach their science and stuff like that. Peter Capaldi's doctor has a knack for uh, things. that He's not going to let things get in the way of him finding a solution to something like that. If he has to make sacrifices and stuff, that doesn't phase him. You can kind of see that somewhat in Peter Cushing's doctor a little bit. He's very focused on his science. I, I could see that. Yeah. So much so that he he's so focused on, on his investigations and trying to figure things out that he misses some pretty obvious things. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the note written on the door in this film. Right. Yeah. <laughs> How did they miss that? I'm just screaming to scream. Just, just look. Open your eyes. <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> oh, well. I, I have something that I wanted to share. I, we mentioned uh, she, and the connection between this and she is that Bernard Cribbins is in this film as well. Yes. As Tom, the Bobby, <laughs> the police <laughs> officer, the policeman, who gets caught up in this crazy adventure and, and seems to swallow the reality of it pretty quickly. This is not the first time he and Cushing had worked together. They had worked in She together, and Cribbins had fond things to say, had nice things to say about the time that he worked with Peter Cushing, loved working with him, thought he was a great guy. He did describe Cushing as somebody who portrayed the doctor as someone who had to rearrange everything in his mouth before he said it, and I thought that was pretty apt. We like Cushing because, well, we're always watching his hands in, his, in the movies, seeing yes. what he's fiddling with. He's hot props Cushing, right? He can't <laughs> not do something with his hands. In this one, it almost feels like he can't not do something with his mouth because he's always kind of mulling something over, rearranging things in his mouth like he's chewing on a toffee Yes, before he says something. And I, I thought that was kind of endearing. I thought that was nice. I liked that. And you know, obviously, Cribbins had a good time working with him. He relates a story on the Blu-ray that he and Cushing got in trouble with the director one day because they just got the giggles yeah. over the Daleks. <laughs> yeah, Cribbins is really great because that's the other cool thing with Cribbins in this movie is this isn't his only connection with Doctor Who. Really? Yes, he's got a fairly big role in the modern incarnation, not as the same character. He's playing the companion. He comes in during the Tenet era as uh, the companion Donna Noble's grandfather. Okay. And he pops up a couple different times, too. It's a fairly big part. Uh, when David Tennant was making his exit as the doctor, there was a lot of very emotional scenes between him and Cribbins uh, as they're you know, kind of explaining the way. There's a whole famous line with David Tennant saying he doesn't want to go. Uh, that was a conversation he was having with Cribbins in the modern era. So it was pretty cool to see Cribbins come back as a different character in this uh, series because it was one when I sat down and start watching this for the show – I didn't realize that was him at the oh, time that I started okay. reading. It's like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. Wow. Yeah. So that's to say Cribbins, pretty cool dude. <laughs> did his geek cred go up for you a little bit when you realized he, that? He did. <laughs> Does it make up for she? Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was trying to tell us in the interview that I saw on the Blu-ray that he auditioned to be a doctor. Yeah. At one point, and he went in, and the directors, the producers asked him, you know, what he can do, what he can bring to the table. And he talked about all of his physical abilities. He can throw a punch, he can swim, he can get active. And the producers told him, no, you know, Doctor Who's not an active guy. You know, he doesn't get into fights. And then as soon as they <laughs> cast the next doctor, the first episode, he's punching somebody out. Yeah, of course. <laughs> So, yeah, Kerbin's part in 2150 AD, the Invasion Earth 
I don't know. I mean, it's a good part, but at the same time, it doesn't stand out like some of your other companion. He wasn't a companion, obviously, but uh, when you get some of the other people involved in there, even though he is one of the more major characters, at times he seems like he was set more to the wayside. He just kind of got caught up in it. Now, you've used the word companions a couple of times. I think I know what this means. A companion is pretty much the human connection that Doctor Who has when he's doing his adventures. Is that right? Yes, it's usually somebody that he's drawn to that he uh that he takes them in under his wing and they go on many adventures with them in the modern era they last a season or two it's usually the same person and they've existed throughout all of the whoiverse or hooniverse <laughs> <laughs> the, the hooniverse <laughs> yes <laughs> is it always isn't it typically a woman no not always oh okay a lot of times it's a woman. Um, sometimes it's younger women. Sometimes it's older women. Sometimes there's, uh, there's gentlemen that are involved. Sometimes there's couples involved. There towards, uh, during Matt Smith's run, they had, uh, Amy Pond and Rory, who were a couple that ended up being pretty integral to his missions. Okay. Okay. So. But because this is a human doctor versus the alien doctor from the series, there wouldn't necessarily need to be a companion type character for the Cushing, right? right? But you could say that the they set it up to where the, his uh, where I'm assuming I didn't we didn't hear much out of the uh, adult uh, <laughs> companion that was with him, but I'm assuming that's his daughter because the other little girl that was with him is his granddaughter, right? Which was a big shock to me when we started watching this. Yeah, so Louise <laughs> is actually his niece, and uh, okay. Susan is the granddaughter. Louise is played by uh, Jill Corzon, and the granddaughter, Susan, Roberta Tovey. Now, in the previous film, Louis, I think they're both there, so they're a part of the story already, at least for this doctor. Uh, but there's a guy from the first film that didn't turn up in this film. There's like a... a I don't know if it was a romantic relationship. I'd have to go back and rewatch the film. Yeah. Uh, but that's okay. We got Bernard Cribbins as Tom the Bobby. <laughs> that was, like I said, though, this is the biggest shock to me when, from everything that I know about Doctor Who, he's an alien. He's the last of the Time Lords, so he has nobody else with him because all the Time Lords have, di- have died off due to the Time Wars, which he had some involvement in. As to what happened to the rest of the Time Lords, things like that. It's a whole big thing in the canon of the entire Doctor Who universe. So when I sit down to this one, not exactly sure what I'm getting into, and the little girl companion calls him grandfather, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine you having the look on your face yeah, uh, being similar to the look on the face of Louise and Susan when Tom comes bursting into the TARDIS. Yes. <laughs> Which was just priceless. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> they just stare at him like, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and then that was opening a good credits. Point, yeah. <laughs> I have to ask you about the Daleks. Yes. I knew going into this, I mean, I've talked about Daleks here on the show before, actually. I knew going into this what the Dalek looked like and basically what they are. I know that they can run around saying exterminate, exterminate. I get it. <laughs> but beyond that, I, w- w- what is a Dalek? So a Dalek is a race that – now, this is where my historian part's going to fall short. Okay. They, uh, I'm going to get some details wrong, but we see in the modern – you see some in the in the past too. But in the modern uh, incarnation of the series, you start to – they give you a lot of background on the Daleks. They're still there. They still come up frequently. They're a race that 
is driven by hate and they're unfeeling things like that. And they've always strove to make themselves better soldiers to where now they're pretty much a little mutated creature that sits inside that big robot shell, essentially. Okay. So there is a living being inside those Daleks. Oh. But they've been evolved and genetically manipulated and stuff so many so much over the years to remove all emotion, all feelings, things like that and whatnot, and to make them more efficient. And they're basically the little fleshy blobs. Okay. Do they so, talk do they currently talk the way they talked in this film? Yes. Oh really? They sound exactly the same. They look exactly the same. Really? Yes. And the only big difference in the modern Daleks and the ones that are for instance in this movie, they've got the plunger arm. That's the same. The other arm looks the same except for in where they were shooting smoke out of these Dalek arms in this movie in the Invasion Earth in the modern era they have lasers that okay. instantly vaporize our target. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. So that is cool. It's the Daleks in this, considering it's separated out from the canon and everything like that, they are the quintessential Daleks. They're the they're the real thing. Are they pretty much the big bad for Doctor Who? Yes, very much so. Okay. The Daleks in the Doctor Who universe are an integral part of why, of the Time Wars and why the Time Lords no longer exist because of what the Doctor had to do to defeat the Daleks. And they keep showing up throughout the time and stuff because they, you know, they're jumping around. They've got different sects, uh, sects, not sex, um, <laughs> <laughs> different kind, you know, different tribes, things like that, that are different factions of them that are out there. And they keep showing up periodically throughout. Okay. You know, when I first see a Dalek on screen in this film, I'm not overly scared of it. It seems right. like something you could easily defeat, but. Clearly, everybody's having problems taking out these big trash can-looking things. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's something that grows with time. They're, I don't know. It's hard to say, it's hard to explain. But they, at the same time, they've had all emotion and stuff stripped from them. They are driven towards one goal, which is to rule. Usually, you get glimpses of them at the start of the invasion where there's literal clouds of them flying through the air as they're coming down onto the things and stuff. So it gives you a bigger scale on how many of them there are. And then once you get into with the personal interactions, it's fewer and whatnot, but it's hard to describe okay. to be honest. No, I mean, clearly they're effective. There yeah. are a couple of shots in the film. In fact, that I found pretty intimidating. I mean, when you first see him, I wasn't like, Oh great. You know, just tip it over and go. He's got a plunger. <laughs> How dangerous is that? But clearly they're not, you know, pushovers. Right. Yeah. They're very, I mean, you know, they're very tactical. They got, they're tactically minded. They're one of the races that comes closest to being able to outsmart the doctor. But at the same time with they've the, with their conflict with the doctor so much over the centuries that, He's like their greatest enemy and their sole focus to try and wipe him out. Mm -hmm. I like them. I like them a yeah. lot. And there's one particular shot in this film that I really liked them in with with the uh, the scene at the mining camp and they take out the one guy in yes. the house. That that was just an awesome scene, an awesome shot. So that made me very happy. I was like, oh, okay, that's why they're dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're. I mean, they are effective. Now, for me, I do like the Daleks, but it, for me, they, in the modern era, they tend to lean on them fairly heavily for bad guys. Yeah. I and mean, one of the things I love about Doctor Who is all the different variety of aliens you get to see. Okay. And they come up a lot. 
they're because they are his big bad. They're the biggest ones. Okay. There's another thing in here. The Robomen, are they also present in Doctor Who TV mythology? That's interesting because the Robomen, as we see them in this movie, I have not seen in the TV mythology. At the same time, they have Cybermen. Okay. Which look totally different. They're a similar concept. Cybermen are humans that have been encased in a robot shell that they've had everything stripped out, all of their thought processes and everything stripped out and reprogrammed, essentially. Okay. The Cybermen are very iconic. But you can't confuse them with the roboticized people that are in here, but it's a very similar concept. So I found that interesting coming into this as a fan of the TV show and never seen this movie before. I've seen the Cybermen. I actually think they look pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. They are pretty cool. Uh, and they're one of the, you know, they're probably right behind the Daleks as far as the big bads versus, you know, in the Doctor Who rogues gallery. Okay. But they, these roboticized people are fairly similar, but they're also the roboticized people in this movie are a product of the Daleks. I don't think the Cybermen are a product of the Daleks in the TV show. Okay. So I don't know that they're essentially, I don't know that they're supposed to be the same people, but. No idea. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, those are the only two real big questions I had regarding the villains of the film. You know, the TARDIS is the same though, right? Yeah. Yes. Sort of. Sort of. It is a police box. It is. It is the police box that, I mean, outside it looks pretty much the same. The inside of the TARDIS changes with every doctor. Really? Yeah. They usually, it takes a little bit of time, but they always end up changing the interior to match the personality of the doctor and whatnot. So oh, that's okay. what's changed throughout the years. Uh, the biggest thing that I noticed was uh, <laughs> in the TV series, at least in the modern version, and I know it was some in the old classic version. I don't know throughout the entire stretch of the classic version if it changed over time or anything like that. The TARDIS has a very distinct sound, which they made a a joke in the modern series at one point that somebody said that he was leaving the parking brake on, but it's got kind of this wheezing sound that you always know it's the TARDIS. If you look up TARDIS and or anything like that, you're always going to hear that sound in this movie. There was no sound. Okay. And also they usually said when the TARDIS takes off, it kind of blinks in and out a little bit and it disappears in this movie. It kind of blinked once and then it was gone because they had the joke where there was the muggings going on in the modern times. And the guy turns around to go to the, to grab the door of the police box, somebody te- grabs him and he turns away and he looks back and the bu- police box is gone. I've never seen the TARDIS take off that quick before. <laughs> Did the inside of the TARDIS look? <laughs> I mean, were, it looked legit. Just on a set, right? They were with curtains yeah. around and that was it. Yeah, I mean, it looked legit. I mean, I didn't have any problem accepting that that was the inside of the tar- TARDIS because, like I said, the interior changes regularly with so the doc. It could have been. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it perfectly fit. I mean, that perfectly fit in. It looked fine. Why does the the, Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say that's the only big difference I noticed was the sound and the fact that it took off so quick. Why does the TARDIS, which is this vehicle that this alien, this non-human alien uses, look like a police box? Do we know? Yes, because I don't remember exactly when, but the TARDIS has a cloaking device. Okay. That he, he can change it. To anything he wants to make it fit in with wherever environment is. Because, I mean, the doctor travels throughout time, space, dimensions, and everything else. At some point in his missions, because originally the doctor had stolen the TARDIS from the Time Lords. And he took off with it and started having his adventures. At some point in his travels, in a fight of some sort, his cloaking device got damaged. 
And so it was stuck in the form of that police box. And he could never get it back to normal. Okay. That's why it looks like a police box. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. It's one of those things they make a quick mention of throughout, you know, here and there when he's talking to somebody and whatnot. It's one of those little details they throw in that makes it a lot of fun in a well-thought-out world. Gotcha. All right. I I don't think I had any other big questions regarding Doctor Who. I feel like I know a little bit more about Doctor Who now, having spoken with you. Now I think the next step is just watching it, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, when I'm not watching a Hammer film or a classic <laughs> yeah, monster movie. Yeah, and free time in, wa- in your uh, TV watching schedule. God, you know, I shouldn't complain. You'd run more podcasts than I do, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, how do you find the time to watch all this? Well, it's only on once a week now, right? Which one? Who? Oh, yeah. Okay. I've got my TV shows that I like to watch. I'm not anti-TV or anything like that, but I like to watch movies more. But I've got, like, Doctor Who in our house is fun for the whole family. We're all into it. So that's the one show everybody in our household drops everything. We sit down to watch Doctor Who when it comes on. Gotcha. Oh, I, I remembered. I watched a few episodes of Torchwood. That kind of counts, right? Yes, that's a spinoff. That's a spinoff. It's in the same world. Yeah. Okay, yep. okay, okay. So can I have my geek card back? Yeah, you, you're all right. <laughs> Captain I, Jack is one of my favorite characters in the Doctor Who universe. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, you're all right. <laughs> this is Invasion Earth, 2150 AD. This is no blood to spill. This is 2150 AD, the year when human beings are turned into living dead men, robo-men, the underground slaves of the world's new dictators. Twenty-one fifty AD, a year that will thrill you and terrify you. A year of rebellion as a brave handful hold out in a last-ditch battle for human survival. Attention, resist, and you will be exterminated. Leading the resistance fighters is Peter Cushing, his most thrill-making role. Come along. Ah! Aided by Bernard Cribbins. A reluctant traveller into the dangerous future. Have you seen the girl? Listen, where's the girl? Ray Brooks, the boy with the knack. Who doesn't find life so easy in the year 2150 AD? Andrew Keir, Jill Kazan, Roberta Toby. All of them fighting to the death a mobilised band of burnt-out human beings, Robomen. With their flying saucers and an army of bloodless, fleshless metal monsters. This is Invasion Earth, 2150 AD. A shattering look into the future. They're no good! The bombs are no good! I think we're going to go ahead and pause the conversation right there. We'll be back here in a couple of days with Casey to continue talking about this 
film. I hope you're enjoying the conversation. I know I had fun recording it and editing it, and I hope Casey enjoyed his long-awaited proper debut on Monster Kid Radio. You know, for all the griping that he gives us, he actually appeared on the show briefly when we did a round of the Classic Five with him. The Classic Five was the five monster movie question game that we would play with people. No, I haven't forgotten about it, even though we haven't talked about it here on the show. It is something that you may see coming at the end of the year, beginning of next year. So stay tuned for that, and stay tuned for more Casey in a couple of days. Pounding across the motion picture screen comes the most terrifying monster of them all. Gamera, the Invincible. Gamera, the super monster that even the H-bomb cannot destroy. Gamera, the Invincible. Gamera, consuming raw atomic power. Power to destroy entire cities. Open fire! Man's most destructive weapons have no effect on Gamera, the Invincible. The mightiest nuclear weapons ever devised are powerless against... Gamera, the Invincible. Is humanity doomed? Will the world be destroyed? The United Nations is called to emergency session in a last desperate effort to save the world. We have one plan that we think might work. We have discussed Plan Z with the Japanese authorities, and they agree it is the best of our alternative plans. Is that correct, sir? That is so. Plan Z is hope of the world. A cast of thousands at the mercy of the most terrifying monster that ever lived. Brian Donlevy as General Arnold. is beyond comprehension. He must be stopped now. Albert Decker as the Secretary of Defense. Will Plan Z stop Gamera? Gamera, the invincible... I can transplant his brain. If I don't, it'll die through lack of oxygen. In his nightmare mind, one more horror, one last horrendous act. Frankenstein must be destroyed. Frankenstein must be destroyed. Peter Cushing, Veronica Carlson. Frankenstein must be destroyed. This picture has been rated M, suggested for mature audiences. received an email from listener Jason S. Jason says, Hey Derek, really enjoyed the recent Green Slime episodes. You may already know this and felt it didn't pertain to Monster Kids, but the director Kinji Fukasaku was an esteemed director in Japan. However, it wasn't until the mid-2000s that his most popular and important films were available in the States. In the early 1970s, Fukasaku's Battles Without Honor and Humanity and its four star-studded sequels changed how Japanese cinema portrayed the Yakuza. The film's music is so iconic in Japan, akin to the music from The Godfather. I've heard it used on TV and movies quite a few times. If you enjoy 1970s crime films, I urge you to give it a watch. Fukasaku also directed some film called Battle Royale. You may have heard of it. Chris and Jeff and I knew that he had done a lot of non-genre film, some quote-unquote serious film. I'm not familiar with these particular movies, but then my exposure to and understanding of Japanese cinema is not as great as, say, 
the movies in the 1940s here in the States. So I understand there's probably a lot out there just waiting for me to find and enjoy. The music, however, I've seen it on commercials, I've seen it on TV and movies. Battles Without Honor and Humanity. Well, check that out. Oh, and Battle Royale. Yeah, heard of it. Just just a little bit. All right, back to his email. Looking forward to you covering more Japanese films on MKR. Hope you venture past the kaiju classics and cover titles along the lines of Goki, Body Snatcher from Hell, Toho's Dracula Trilogy, and is it Kura Niko, which is a version of the Black Cat. I did see Goki, Body Snatcher from Hell for the first time last Halloween. I talked briefly about it over on Monster Kid Radio episode number 147, which went out last, I think it was November 4th, which would be the episode after Halloween. I do have that on DVD. As far as the other films, I haven't seen those yet. However, Kyle Yount, the man behind the Kaiju cast, mentioned to me that he saw the Dracula films and told me that he thought that they were probably more up my alley than his. I want to see them. After watching the trailers, even though they're not subtitled and I don't know what they're saying, they look impressive. And this version of the Black Cat, I've never heard of, so I'm going to have to look that up as well. Back to your email. Since I'm a maniac for Japanese giant monsters, I love when you cover them. Maybe you should bend MKR rules on occasion to cover post-70s kaiju films. The 1990s Gamera trilogy deserves as much attention as it gets. The Last Dinosaur from 1977 is goofy madness, but when I was six, it was amazing. However, there's plenty of gold from the decades you usually cover. All right, to comment on that, I mentioned Kyle Yount a second ago. Episode 118 last July, I had him on. Now, the Tuesday episode, we talked about his Kickstarter campaign for his amazing Hail to the King 60 Years of Destruction documentary. On episode 118, we talked about the Gamera films. And you're right, the 90s Gamera movies are fantastic. I haven't seen The Last Dinosaur yet, though. I've tried to look up a trailer online, couldn't find one, but it looks like something I need to see. And yeah, we do bend the rules a little bit. It's my show, my rules, I do what I want. He finishes by saying, lastly, it cracks me up that you ID yourself as the big guy in a Hawaiian shirt who looks like he's having the most fun in the room for our Monster Kid Radio crashes. One of my favorite things is going to the movies in Japan, preferably monster movies. I'm always the big, quiet, soul foreigner who looks completely out of place in the room. Seeing Godzilla movies in their natural habitat as nature and the Japanese intended is something else. Completely different vibe than American audiences. Keep up the fine work. Cheers, Jason. Uh, you know, I've never been to Japan. I've talked with my wife. I think it'd be a blast to head over there. I am a big guy, so I'm sure I'll stand out and I might not fit on a lot of their public transportation easily, but it would be awesome to go and see a kaiju film, check out the Ultraman bar that Kyle featured in his documentary. It would just be awesome. Jason, thank you for writing in. I appreciate the feedback. And, uh, you know, if anybody else wants to write in, they can always email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or they can call us and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank everybody for listening to episode 231. Now, if you want to know anything about Monster Kid Radio between episodes, you can do this a couple of different ways. You can go to our Facebook page. Go to facebook.com slash monsterkidradio. Maybe give us a like if you're a user of Facebook. Or you can go to monsterkidradio.net. This is where you're going to find links to everything that we talk about here 
on the show. If you want to hear more of Casey Criswell before you come back for episode 232, well, there will be links to his various podcasting projects at monsterkidradio.net. There's also links to our contact information. I mentioned our voicemail line and our email address a second ago. We also have a Facebook group that you can get to. Now, this is different than the page. The group is where the conversations are happening with Monster Kid Radio listeners between episodes. Also over here, you're going to find a link to our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help support the show that way while getting yourself some sweet perks and rewards along the way. For example, if you support Monster Kid Radio at the AIP level or higher, we're going to mention you in a special executive producer special thanks roll call segment. You'll hear that roll call in the next episode of Monster Kid Radio. The other element of our website I want to point out over on the right, you can find where it says Monster Rally Checkpoint, a place for you to put in your email address and hit subscribe. That gets you subscribed to the monthly e-newsletter that comes out here from Monster Kid Radio and Monster Rally Media. Keeps you up to date with everything going on. Get some special content that's written exclusively for that e-newsletter. Monster Movie Trivia, a column that I run called The Creature Connection. It goes out near the end of the month. So if you want to get signed up for the September release, well, that's how you do it. Again, thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio, and big thanks to Casey for showing up and dropping the Who knowledge. We're going to do more of that in episode 232 here in a couple of days. But between now and then, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license, except that doesn't apply to the song Phantom Hitchhiker. That belongs to the band Boss Fink. It appears on their new album, RPM, which you can order over at DoubleCrownRecords.com or just look up the band on Facebook. However you do it, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Talk to everybody here in a couple of days. (laughs) 